Praise God, what a wonderful opportunity to preach at this conference. I'm really humbled by the opportunity to do this. One of the wicked <clears throat> questions I heard this morning was, are you nervous? No kidding. <laughs> Let's open Bibles to the, our Bibles to the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 29. <clears throat> Before we read the text, a uh, few, few months ago I received a letter uh, from one of the disciples. I know him, uh, you know, in Russia we don't have that many churches uh, that I, you know, I know uh, quite a few, you know, most of the disciples that are of any value and uh, I received a letter from him and very straightforward letter asking very straightforward questions. I, um, I translated this for you. I want to read this a little bit. Uh, um, he says, he's basically his questioning is, uh, what is uh, uh, being a disciple or what is having a pastor he says my understanding that pastor and disciple is a team that move into one direction towards one goal a team where pastor is the leader and the father that communicates to his disciples corrects them tells them straightforward what they need to change and inspire them pastor is the one that is interested in discipling and has discipleship classes teaches and trains them for the ministry and then he says this is the way it is in our church he says uh, uh, I, I I would love he says my pastor to rebuke me sometimes I want closer relationships I want him to teach me and direct me I understand I organize a lot myself I you know make posters flyers suggest what outreach to have but I would love to have once in a while hear his input instead I come to him and suggest a movie or a concert and get a yes without any input from him. For example, for Christmas, <clears throat> we were showing this movie, and uh, something went wrong, and it started to get all blurry, and uh, finally the equipment died. Pastor came to me before that all happened, while this was all, all this was transpiring, and said that the whole thing sucks, and left the building. After that, I had to stay and preach. My brothers heard my, the rebuke of a pastor, Pastor never talked to me afterwards about what had happened. I needed advice, Pastor, he says. I want to grow as a disciple. If the problem is mine, I'm willing to change because I realize there is a lot I need to change. So before you brand this guy as a rebel, let me defend my case. We have in Russia quite a number of small churches. And as far as I can understand, we have quite a number of small churches in our fellowship. And uh, they haven't been growing for several years, and they run about 30 to 50 people. And I started to analyze, and like Pastor Rubio's preaching, I started asking myself some very uncomfortable questions. I looked into those churches, and I found out that every one of them has normally a very quality disciple, especially in the beginning of that church. When a pastor is just pioneering and breaking through into something, usually God gives him a helper. And God gives them a disciple or two that does great. And those couples, uh, one or two couples, do great for a certain amount of time. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in Russia, after some time, the guy goes sour and rebels or gets all weird. And so I was praying about this because I want to see Russia saved. And we want to see the world saved. 
And God spoke to me and said, Laban's syndrome. I want to preach on Laban's syndrome, a sermon that I called, When Am I Going Out, Pastor? Let's read Genesis 29, verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your young daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, and I might go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into, into her. <clears throat> and Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? What's not, uh, was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must, must not be done so in our country, so uh, to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you'll serve me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled his week. So he gave his, uh, him his daughter Rachel as a wife. And Laban gave, him, uh, gave his uh, maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And Jacob also went into Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. So I'm talking primarily to pastors of the small churches. And uh, I will give you four steps how to stay small forever. <laughs> Number one, a pastor who wants to stay small needs to fail to see the potential in the man God brings him. See, disciples will never look good when, he come, when they come to our churches. We have to have a lot of faith when we look at their faces. Listen to Laban's words when he looks at Jacob. Now we know who Jacob is. Jacob is the one whose uh, God's Israel's destiny is going to be fulfilled through his life. But Laban doesn't know it. To him, it's just a young boy, his relative. And so in the verse 19, Bible says, and Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Let me translate this. This is the Russian translation. You're not nothing special, young man, but okay. I mean, stay around and we'll see what happens. Pastor Laban fails to see the potential in the man uh, of God. There are untold numbers of men that have been killed in our churches just because nobody believed in them. I have a word of appreciation for pastors in Holland and Pastor Everett Folk especially letting me preach at uh, uh, their conferences and in their churches. Before I came to States uh, to preach, uh, they had to put up with me in Holland. <laughs> you might be asking yourself, where is this guy coming from? I've been molded and shaped by the Dutch fellowship. They've allowed me to preach in their churches. I was flabbergasted. They, they allowed me to preach. Well, I, I will never forget the first time I was scheduled to preach in Holland. Yeah, recently I saw my sermon. Oh, I tried to see my sermon. I watched it in a, you know, in a video. 
the one I preached in Zwolle several many years ago and I was so purified I thought to myself I would never let this guy preach in a conference <laughs> and that's exactly what Pastor Laban does he does not see the potential he grumbles and he grinds about uh, uh, whatever the word means. He, he's uh, <coughs> um, uh, constantly uh, uh, whining about the people that he has in his church. And he does not see that God has brought some people, a man that you can work with and you can, you can release them and they will fulfill their destiny. Second thing you have to do to stay small is you have to change your reward all the time. Remember the letter I quoted? You know what this guy is really saying in that letter? He's really saying this. He's saying, Pastor, I want to know when I am going to be sent out. Let me and tell me exactly. Give me, give me you know, the hope and uh, uh, bring me step by step to that place where I will start uh, fulfilling my own destiny. We know this is what Laban does. He changes uh, the reward all the time. And Bible says that first seven years went by really fast. Bible says that he, Jacob felt like it was just a few days. And that's exactly what happens when we just come into our churches. I, you know, I speak from the perspective of a disciple that was raised up. You know, I was uh, first uh, years or months in a fellowship in the church. I didn't even feel it just went up by like this. And seven years, first seven years, because of the love for the church and the vision and the pastor and the fellowship and the willingness to work, work and work for, for the dream, you know, th that time goes by really fast. And Bible says that he felt like it just happened within a few days. But after a while, <clears throat> when he gets Leah instead of Rachel, Next seven years, Bible simply says in verse 30, and he served with Laban another seven years. What a drag for a man to sit in our churches. You know, and this is what's frustrating, I think. You know, and I'm, I'm not preaching to uh, f flame the rebels in the church. I'm preaching to the real sincere men of God, disciples in those small churches that have co they come to conference like this in Prescott or elsewhere in, the, elsewhere in the world and hears the preaching, catches the vision, answers the altar call like last night, goes back to his mother church on Sunday just to find out that we're back to normal, we're back to usual. And there is no telling when my dream or his dream will be fulfilled. I was saved in 1993 and went out in May 1995. Being saved for less than two years and engaged but still unmarried, it was the best thing I ever done in my life. Uh, go out early in the Christian life uh, until I heard all the rumors and all the uh, garbage, just uh, totally oblivious, believing God, uh, marrying a right girl, and going out as early as possible. This was the best thing I ever done in my life. Nothing frustrates more than when a disciple suddenly realizes He's not going out anywhere this century. 
Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Third thing you need to do to stay, keep your church small, you should use your church for your own benefit. You know, I, I was a pastor of, of two small churches, and my heart goes out to those pastors. I, uh, I mean to pioneer a, a church is a, an impossible mission, an impossible task. We really appreciate every pioneer pastor that is here in this place. It's an excruciating, heart-aching, manual job that go, drives you crazy. And uh, I can very well see when uh, uh, you invest years, months, and years, and you finally build your church to a 30-member uh, congregation with some disciples there to help you out, and you want, uh, all of a sudden, you want to, there is an urge uh, to stay like that and, and just, just, just back off, uh, take back, and, and, uh, and just a little bit enjoy yourself. And that's a, that is a grave mistake. God has created us to bear fruit, and the churches must send workers. Only purpose of the church and existence of us on the planet Earth is to save souls and plant men out. And that should be the heartbeat of every pastor, even if you're pioneering. But instead what we see is professional pastors that have arrived. They get a few people in, they sacrifice, and instead of sending their disciples out, they start enjoying their life. They say things like, my church sends me places. That's wonderful that your church sends you places, and that's very well valid. We need to do that. We need to be exposed to other nations and go out and enlarge our vision. But that's not an excuse for not sending men out. The danger for the fellowship are the men of smaller churches that will sit through the conference and go back to their cities with the firm desires to go places, be, buy better equipment, or just plainly have comfortable life. This was the vision Laban had to do for Jacob. What I can get out of it. You know, even Laban's uh, girls are saying this. In chapter 31st, just a few chapters down the road, the Bible says they speak with their husband, now Jacob, and they say about their father, for he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. Benjamin Franklin attributed to this saying he says uh, a great empire like a great cake is mostly e easily is most easily diminished at the edges and when we're talking about the fellowship edges we're talking about uh, uh, people uh, of the pastors of the small churches we have great leaders and we have great churches where they believe God and they send workers out but if we will have our vision sabotaged by the small church pastors that's when the vision starts to die and the vibrant work of God turns into a denomination uh, yeah, I don't know about the, if this happens in America, but this, I, this is what I feel as a, as a leader of Russian fellowship. Why are you sabotaging the vision that we have? Why am I supposed to send all these churches out, raise up all these men out, uh, you know, raise them up and send them out? Why am I supposed to do that only myself? 
What are you doing with your man? You know, I'm looking at these guys sometimes when I preach revivals in small churches and I see very quality disciples and my heart goes out. I think to myself, if I had that guy in my church, he'd go out in a year. He'd be successful. I don't know if he'd be successful or not, but at least he would be, you know, he'd do something for God. Stop using your church that you have built for your own benefit and send out those men. Fourth mistake and the fourth thing you need to do to stay small, I believe, is you don't, have, you don't need to make disciples. You need to make gophers. <laughs> this is the idea of discipleship that people have sometimes. I'm speaking from the experience. Gophers are the ones that generally receive the most vexing and thankless job. Like making flyers, outreaches, and then tells me the pastor completely lost his vision. And so instead of discipling, he's glad to give this, uh, you know, undesirable things that come with the ministry, you know, into the hands of the disciples, under the guise of discipleship. You want to be a disciple? Yes, sir. I've seen that happen. In one of the baby churches in Russia some years ago, I observed a very fine, observed a very fine young man got saved. He was on fire for God. Walking 11 miles to the morning prayer. Every morning. I mean, I, mean, I felt at that moment that he was one of the best disciples we had in the whole, you know, we didn't have that many churches back then. He was one of the best guys. You know, naturally he started getting involved with the ministry. He started getting involved with all the things, you know, and making fires, setting equipment up, putting up chairs, you know, straightening the chairs and greeting people at the door, you know, all those things. And after a while, I come to uh, uh, the church there and uh, I already know about this because pastor started calling me. The guy goes totally weird. He goes very, very strange. You know, he rebels. He's sitting way at the back with his hands folded like this. He doesn't want to communicate. He doesn't want to do anything. He speaks harshly with people, you know, and the pastor is asking me, what happened to the guy? And I tell him, because he served you for seven years, you made him in a, into a golfer. You, you did, it wasn't a discipleship process. It was a golfership. And so I preached a revival at that, church, at that church recently. It's very, very sad to see a guy like that go under. But you know what? Lo and behold, there is another gopher. Another victim. That guy is, is a rebel. Nobody needs to talk to him. Let's excommunicate him. And this guy is all excited. I look at his face. He's, you know, he's running around, setting up equipment, putting up chairs. He's doing all that. And I'm thinking to myself, is that guy going to be like that a few years down the road? That's unfair. Amen. Pastor, that's unfair. You get the salary. You get to stay in a hotel during the conference. 
You get to even give a report. You get to preach around the world. Fly places, buy stuff. And what does he get? 20 years of slavery? Listen, listen to the words uh, of frustration. You know, you know the story down the road, Jacob, Jacob rebels against, you know, he takes his wives and whatever he, you know, um, gained during this time, 20 years. And so, you know, the story, Laban runs after him with his men. They meet. Uh, Bible says, uh, uh, Laban sees the dream and God tells, me, tells him, don't speak, neither good nor bad, when you see Jacob th this next morning. That's the, I, I wonder about that. But, you know, and so when they meet, here's, here's Jacob's frustration spoken out in Genesis 31, 38. To these 12 years I've been with you, uh, 20 years rather. Your eyes and your female uh, goats have not miscarried their young and have not eaten the rams um, um, of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. He's a perfect disciple. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me on the streets when I was passing out flyers. And the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes as I was thinking if you're gonna like the flyer or not. <laughs> Thus I've been in your house 20 years. I served you for 10 years for, you to, for your two daughters and six years for your flock and you've changed my wages 10 times. Don't change. Wages. And don't make gophers. I am not protecting rebels here. But my heart aches when I see great potential and pastors doing nothing with it. I want to finish by speaking about releasing your Jacob. The call this morning is to release Jacobs in this place. We have to realize releasing men is not an option. It is not an option. We will be made accountable on the day when we see our Lord Jesus Christ like that parable of a talent. That guy was entrusted with one talent and he went and hid it and he didn't put it into business. He didn't release this talent and um, and this talent was, could not be used. He was, he was locked up, uh, but the man himself lost his destiny. The guy who hid the talent, I say it one more time, he lost his destiny. Our destiny as pastors is totally connected with the man that we are releasing into the ministry. People say they have vision. Vision of our fellowship. But that vision only comes to life during the conference time. I've been there. I, I, I've been there. I've done that. 
You know what vision is? Vision is something that you breathe. You eat it. You drink it. You dream it at night and you live it when the sun rises up. Every day, day in and day out. You can't figure, you can't uh, 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 all of a sudden recall that you have vision. You can't uh, remind yourself we have a vision. You can't put a, a chant, you know, how the, the uh, uh, Eastern religions do. We have a vision. We have a vision. You have a vision. You have a vision. We have a vision. Vision, vision, vision. I went through Cuba on the way to Prescott. Preached a revival for our man, um, our guy there. Um, Sergey Pohovsky is doing an excellent job in church. Been a, over, a little over a year. He's been over a little over a year there. On the last uh, night, uh, thir 33 people, wonderful people, and uh, really uh, saved. And disciples are rising up. It's a tremendous thing to see. And um, he was 14, and I was 18 when we got saved. And uh, we were, I, we were recalling this. I actually preached in that small congregation. Uh, that is just being formed about how your, you know, I was telling them how your pastor and I were just new converts. He was 14 and I was 18 and we were dreaming about reaching the world. And one thing that came up was Cuba. And here we were, uh, you know, 18 years later, and I'm preaching in Cuba for the guy, for, for my brother, Sergey. And he's having, you know, he learned Spanish fluently. He's translating for me, you know, from Russian into Spanish. People love him. He loves the place. It's just a great, great thing to see. And you know what? There is a disciple there. His name is Alejandro. In his, him and his wife are, 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 are um, uh, 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 radically, radically saved. He's witnessing to everybody. His mom lives in Miami. She called him and said, come over to Miami. Forget about the stinking poor Cuba. You know what he said to her? He said, mom, I am not leaving. I want to see my people saved. Praise God. And you know what? As I was sharing with them, and you gotta, you gotta understand something if you're pioneering. When is the time when you start, you know, when you start talking about vision to your, to your guys, to your men? Well, the first day you start a church. That's the day when you start. I was talking about that, about, you know, here we are from the middle of nowhere. They can't even find Vologda on the map. And I'm telling these people, and I, I see this guy, Alejandro, his eyes are sparkling. And I say, uh, right during this sermon, I say, just imagine after a few years, our, our hermano Alejandro will uh, be preaching uh, all over Latin America, in Peru, in Mexico, in other places. And when I looked down on, on his, into his eyes, uh, you know, you could, you could, this was the happiest man on the planet Earth at that moment. He doesn't know how this is going to transpire. He doesn't know and he doesn't care. I see that he believes me. I believe that. He believes that. And we're going to take the world for Jesus Christ. You're saying to me, Pastor uh, uh, or Sergey, what do you? What's your advice? I have three things. I think you know. I don't. I, I'm not that smart. I I I came up with three things. 
One thing, maybe you should come back to your church and, and get on the same page with your church, mother church, and your pastor, and get redirected and, and get on fire again. The other option could be uh, is uh, uh, you could, um, what was the other option? I can't remember the second option. You know why? Uh, that because, you know, because it's not important. I, I have the third option, though. I got that down. Hey, you, you, you better start, you know, the process of discipleship properly in your church. Because when you disciple your men, one man, two guys, I don't, I don't know who you, how many you have. If you start discipling those guys properly, what happens is they will change you as a pastor. The desire to see their destiny fulfilled will bring you to the point where you will finally start to ask questions. And you will start learning you will start analyzing your own mistakes and you will eventually grow and they will follow. They'll start growing with you. You will go out on the streets with them because you will realize you can't just send them out. They're not gophers. They need a leader. They need an example. And you will have to be out there. Instead of being a cyber pastor. You will pray till fire falls. You will change the way you preach because you will want to make preachers in your congregation. Our fellowship is all about releasing men to fulfill their destiny, isn't it? When I first came to conference here, Pastor Mitchell, you know, paid my way. And um, I was walking through the book trailer, lusting after those books. You know, but they are expensive in the States. And um, so uh, I, was, I was, you know, uh, uh, struggling between giving all the money to the, to the offerings or, or, or buying a book or two. And so I decided that I should give uh, money to the world evangelism. Next Monday, I was still around Prescott. I, I don't know how it happened, but I was still around after the conference. And Pastor Mitchell, after the breakfast, tells me to follow him. We go into this office where all the books are and he picks up a book that I lasted after all the week. <laughs> and he asks me if I want it. I said, yeah. He picks another one. Do you want it? I don't even know the title. I don't even read it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he says, do you want this one? I says, sure. You want this one? And I, I get all the... I had so many books. Then he says... And he says, do you have a bag to carry this home? And I, I didn't. I was, trying to, I was going to figure out, you know. He says, well, I'll bring you a, ba a bag. You know, he bought me, got me a bag. And then after all that happened, he turned and looked at me and said, do the same thing to your men one day.
Our fellowship is all about releasing men. I have a guy in my church, Roman Nalivaisky is his name. He is a former drug addict that God saved a little over two years ago. Just got married. He will turn 33 this summer. Married a wonderful wife that never knew drug addiction or any other addiction in her life. A university student, very, very high paid job in St. Petersburg. Roman loves God. He got really converted. He wants to go out to pioneer this conference in August. And that's very exciting. But there's only one problem with him is the, that he has, has had HIV for 12 years. And he has quite a few health issues. He was the first one to be diagnosed with HIV in the northern part of Russia called Murmansk. He is a tough dude though and he complains very little. Recently talked about strange swellings on his legs. He also has a scar after an operation that uh, cannot get healed. It hasn't healed after, you know, a few months. And he has other health issues. But he wants to go out and he wants to pioneer with whatever time he has got. He tells me, Pastor, I don't, have, I don't know how much time I got left. But please release me into the ministry. In our fellowship, you know, if you read a book, Helps and Guidelines, uh, in that book it says that HIV uh, uh, um, patients are not allowed to be in the ministry. I actually had to even talk to Pastor Mitchell about this situation. And um, uh, this was corrected and uh, to my knowledge, if I got it right, he can go out and be a pastor. Times has changed. Nobody is afraid of HIV anymore as it was in the beginning. So he says to me, I don't know how much time I've got left, but pastor, please let me go out and let me pioneer a church with whatever time I've got. Is it foolish to send a man like that into the mission field? Is it foolish for him to dream about preaching the gospel when, when there is no telling how much time he's got? I don't believe it's foolish. I believe it's noble. I, it will be my pride. It will be my privilege. It will be my joy. If that works out, and this August, I will be able to announce him and his wife to go out and pioneer and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how much time he has got left. And we are believing God for healing. But I will make sure that he gets the best out of what he has until God takes him or heals him or whatever. Are you releasing your Jacobs? Are you seeing them as a potential to touch nations? Or you're just building your own little thing and and sabotaging our fellowship vision. God bless you, that's all I had, thank you.